Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss. In the Time Variance Authority of Loki is a world many of us are revisiting ahead of Loki Season 2, especially after Quantumania. And as my favorite MCU setting, I've always had a ton of questions about how these workplaces are created. Who makes the decisions over what we see on the desktop screens? What it all looks like? What search engine restrictions are on Casey's computer? And why Miss Minutes is such a little tease with that finger wagon? Well, these decisions are often made by motion graphics artists and user interface designers at companies like Cantina, and we actually found one of these artists who had a very interesting history with the famous Thanos multiple choice question and lots of other insights into how the world of the TVA was designed. Here's our conversation about that fascinating design process behind the TVA and Loki. And this video is brought to you by Squarespace. More on them later. So let's welcome to New Rockstars, a user interface designer who has helped design the technology of things that you've seen in the Time Variance Authority on Marvel's Loki and for stuff that you've seen in Black Adam for the DC Universe, Darby Vicento. Welcome to New Rockstars, Darby. Thanks for talking with us today. What's up, guys? So uh, tell us what exactly you do, because it's a complicated job, it sounds like, from people in the outside world who don't even know know that this type of work is being done they might just take it for granted yeah so our stuff is in um a niche of a niche of a niche <laughs> so uh <laughs> technically the general term for what i do is motion graphics and then okay. below that there is user interface design so there's people who design interfaces for your phones and for computers so any kind of technology you interact with somebody designed that experience and made it animate designed it made it look pretty and then there's the niche of that which is a futuristic user interface for TV and film, which is hyper-specialized. <laughs> and so that's where uh, I fall in and everybody I work with. And so we design screen graphics for movies and TV, uh, for future tech, stuff that doesn't exist, or in the case of Loki, older tech. And we try to help elevate the story with the graphics. It's so interesting, because when I think of Loki, I think of, yeah, it is kind of this weird hybrid of older tech that, of course, is futuristic in nature, but it has to have a weathered feel to it right yeah it's got to feel dirty and grungy and old and yeah <laughs> real quick how does how does one get involved in this kind of work i think everybody has a different story from who i've talked to in this but uh my story was kind of weird i reached out to a dude in email uh when i was in high school and his name was jace hansen and he designed the iron man heads up displays and the helmet with all the holographic stuff mm -hmm. going on and we kind of became friends back and forth and talked for a few years and then i was in college and I was doing this stuff as a hobby on the side of my dorm room. And Jace was like, hey, bro, you should drop out of school. I think you could totally do this full time. So I left school and I moved up to Vegas and hung out with Jace for three months. And we hung out and designed every day. And he kind of taught me his process. And then uh, I moved back to Tennessee where I'm from. And uh, Jace uh, kind of vouched for me at the studio called Cantina Creative where he did all the Iron Man stuff at. And uh, they were like, yeah, let's trial by fire. Let's just throw them on something. And so that's how I got in. That's so interesting. <laughs> um, but it just sounds like there's a lot of creativity that's involved with it. And that's what I want to like highlight as much as I can on this channel is like shining a light on and appreciating just the artistry that goes into this process. And so let's, you worked uh, you worked on a team with Loki, with season one of Loki. Uh, and can you just walk us through the steps of how you worked with Marvel to design this interface that we saw within the TVA. Yeah, so I'm a freelance contractor, so I get prod on per project, and all my projects have been through Cantina Creative. They're awesome, we have a fun relationship. So I don't work directly uh, with Marvel. I'm not sitting in a room talking to them. Sure. They'll talk to Cantina and the, rep the people appointed on the show, and then they translate that communication to me. And so in this case, Donna Cullen, uh, Tony Lupoi, and Andrew Harluck 
were kind of the three people leading the ship on Loki. And so Andrew was our design lead and he would kind of communicate with me what they want, what they wanted to change. And so when we're kind of going through this process, we'll get the shots in from Marvel. They'll tell, there'll be a blank screen. We'll have a rough edit of kind of what they want story beat wise there. And then we kind of go at it, uh, give two or three versions to them. And then Andrew and Donna and Tony will kind of present it, look for feedback. And then Marvel will give us sometimes first try. It's great. Sometimes we get a bunch of feedback and they want to kind of change everything. Mm. Either way is expected and it's fine, but that's kind of that collaborative process. So I see. Okay. So you're presenting three different versions and can you give an example of like, was it a piece of technology or something seen on a screen in the TVA? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we're, uh, there's a term called previs. Uh, and so mm. uh, there's previs for uh, CG where it's something really rough just to kind of give a sense of story and beat when you're getting rough footage. For us, Mar well, specifically with Marvel, they have their own previs department in-house. And so they'll kind of doodle some graphics on or slap some stuff on the screen just so we have an idea of what they kind of want. So, for example, if it's the chrono monitor, they might draw a line in like three branches saying we want three branches mm. here. So something like that. That's kind of how we kind of get a rough idea. I gotcha. So uh, when we watch the episodes of Loki season one, I think a lot of people are going back to rewatch mm -hmm. Loki right now. You can see like little Easter eggs on the desktop yeah. screens. Like it's like it's like watching The Office. A lot of characters are just playing solitaire on their screen or specifically like we don't really know how much to read into this, but right. uh, places and locations and time dates that ticker <laughs> across the, the ticker. How are those details chosen? Yeah. So there's not a global answer for all of that. Uh -huh. So, for example, like uh, with locations or dates, a lot of that will come from Marvel saying, hey, we'd love to throw this in here. And then sometimes it's just, hey, can we just film locations because three of these are important. The rest are kind of filler. Mm. So it's really give or take. Uh, but with things like the solitaire screen that you were talking about, we kind of just go at it and have fun because, I mean, our job's to world build, really. And so mm -hmm. we're looking at these screens. I'm thinking, man, like, you know, I think Andrew was the one who ended up putting the solitaire thing in there for fun. And you know, we'll show it to them and they think it's funny and they love it. And they're like, yeah, like, we didn't even think about that. Let's do it. You know, conversations like that are so organic. So our job is to get them thinking, you know, so throwing things in there like that helps them kind of think a little bit, uh, a little bit bigger than maybe they were thinking originally about the screen. Interesting. I liked hearing how collaborative it is mm -hmm. because, you know, it's also, if you think about a show like Loki, you know, with, with he remains revealed at the end, it's all from his mind. But what I like about it is hearing that there's a lot of artists who are weighing in on this. It kind of presents mm -hmm. like, it, it, it makes the TV feel more like, I don't know, it gives it more variety, a more kind of true bureaucracy office feel to it. Did you ever mix in anything in the options you put in there <laughs> that might have been rejected for being like, oh, no, 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 we can't mention that thing. Like, because um, they'll they'll read into it if you do that. Uh, yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know if I can actually say what it is. <laughs> so, Fair enough. But Fair yeah, enough. those conversations yeah. have happened where they're like, hey, who put this in there? And I'm like... I don't know who did that. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, one detail that we spotted, if you can't talk too much about it, it's fine. Mm. This multiple choice question about Thanos and mm. like the fact that like Thanos has two apples, like he goes <laughs> back in time to eat another one. Like, yeah, you don't have to get if there's any plot yeah. implications about from that. That's fine. I just curious. How did that come about? Yeah, no, I can talk about that. Um, 
Okay. I'm actually really excited that you asked me about it. And because I watched your breakdown okay. of that episode and you pointed out that screen and I got so excited and I sent it to like all my friends and stuff. And I'm like, he saw my screen because... Oh, that was you. Yeah, it was me. Be- well, yeah, I mean, like everybody touches everything. But that joke thing, there was... I believe for that screen, they wanted it to be like a DMV questionnaire kind of thing. I think that was the original ask. And so Andrew and I were kind of going back and forth, like just spitballing a bunch of different designs and we landed on one. And so they wanted like these questions. And here in Tennessee growing up, there's this test called the TCAP that you take in elementary school. And it's like (laughs) the most ridiculous questions on earth. It's like, Hey, Sally has 800 skateboards and she breaks half of them. And then one of them rolls down the hill and four of them get blown away in a tornado, but she finds two of them. How many does she have? You know, just something ridiculous like that. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, man, that'd be so funny if those were the questions here for the TVA. And so I came up with something that it was similar to what you see in the show, this like Thanos Apple thing. And at this time I was a newer artist. So I was kind of scared to like write something funny because I didn't, I didn't know if it'd be received well, but we set it off to to uh, the director and the showrunners and the VFX people. And they looked at it. We got a note back saying that they thought it was so funny. And they asked me to write 30 more jokes. So I did that 30 (laughs) times, making up different questions about Thanos and apples and paradoxes or whatever. And they ended up, they picked their favorite options. We put them on the screen and then it ended up in the show. And like, you know, it's kind of like in the back, you really got to look for it. But I mean, I wrote so many jokes for that. So when you noticed it, I got so excited. Like, yes, someone's <laughs> <Of course>. looking. <laughs> I think that was my favorite Easter egg in all of Loki. Like, oh, okay. I just did a, a revisitation of it on our second channel, The Deep Dive. Mm-hmm. And literally, I spent, like, a solid three minutes just talking about each option. Because, like, I think this is just so interesting how this reflects, like, the He Remains process and the Timekeeper's process of just, like, pruning things down to one to one final option of a sacred timeline like that you have three options one is like grandfather paradox one is multiple timelines one is more of like just kind of a loose interpretation of time travel it really is like (laughs) such a well thought out question that forces you to think about the logic of the show thanks (laughs) that's so funny no i'm glad somebody noticed it it was so funny watching you react i'm like ah he saw my joke (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool uh now i want to talk about the color palette of it Hmm. because you know when you watch the when you see that it's so hard to even read what's on the screen at first because you know when they upload it to disney plus sometimes the compression just kind of makes it a bit blurrier but like they have you have this like warm black background orange fuzzy kind of texture to all the text Mm -hmm. how how did that design process come about yeah, so that was definitely a collaborative effort. Uh, so like I said, I got brought in, and this was my first like real production. So Andrew kind of led the way earlier on with design exploration and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And a lot of the amber stuff was coming from the TVA itself because a lot of their props and set design was playing off that orange. A lot of their logos and the way they even mm-hmm. shot stuff, the whole show was very warm. And so when we were uh, digging into that, Andrew already kind of had this color palette once I showed up of that burnt orange is the primary color, this like monochromatic thing. And uh, we kind of played into it because a lot of the old DOS screens had that as a display. I think it was like blue. There was blue. There was an orange one, like a green uh, color that was very popular back in, mm-hmm. you know, before I was born. <laughs> so I kind of mm-hmm. had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, playing into that, the that amber color really is playing off the TVA itself, this bureaucratic uh, brown and orange primarily color scheme. 
Interesting. It sounds like you had to do a lot of research or your team had to kind of look back and at the actual photographs mm-hmm. and the way like offices were designed back then. So can you talk about like the research process that went into the design of it? And it sounds I want to loop back the research process that you had writing the 30 different options <laughs> of the multiple choice question. Well, Okay, to answer your first part, the the research, uh, like I said, like Andrew was really leading the way on that. So once I showed up, he was like, hey, here's all this stuff I've done. And here's kind of these conclusions we've come to. And when I joined, we were still trying to narrow down what the designs would actually look like in the final of the show. So we we're still exploring, mm-hmm. but he really had a strong language. And a lot of the stuff he was pulling from was old CRT screens, um, oscilloscopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, old airport monitors that show departures and arrivals, the way they're organizing mm. a lot of lines of different text. Uh, Nintendo DSs for the Timpad, that was a reference that we had. Um, nice. A seismograph uh, that you would use to like measure an earthquake with the little needle kind of going up and down to show yeah. uh, passage of something. And uh, DOS, obviously, and terminal screens. So th- those were kind of the real-world reference that we would save pictures of or look at how do these, when you're turning on an oscilloscope, how does it turn on? How does it react mm-hmm. to stuff? Um, I know Andrew really leaned into that for the little happy face that takes off Loki's clothes at episode one. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah right. Him and uh, <laughs> Tony Lupoi is our compositor, so his job is to take our graphics and track them and make them look realistic and interact well. And I know him and Andrew like really collaborated on that, trying to make it feel really fuzzy and blurred and really like it's in the glass. And so they really studied micro details of how that stuff worked. So that's kind of our reference. Yeah. Yeah. I love that face that takes his clothes off because he looks a little drunk. Like he looks like I can handle this. Like it's like the worst person to give you a, T- a TSA pat down. Yeah, like please don't touch me right now. Um, yeah. But uh, but but yeah. To follow back up on the on the process, the research process for writing the multiple choice time travel yeah. logic stuff. To be completely honest, I remember the first pass I did. I was just kind of spitballing stuff. You know, just my general Marvel knowledge of how it worked, and I was kind of making up questions, uh-huh. and I didn't know how visible it'd really be. And then once Marvel kind of read it and thought it was funny. They asked for a lot of specifics. They asked me to include questions about the grandfather paradox. And I want to say it was Kate, the director, maybe specifically asked for that. Like trying to give us, like she was like, hey, why don't we include this terminology and this idea? And so that's when I started doing research into, well, how would this make sense if this was being asked? And what's the context here? And how can I make this real and believable (laughs) for a screen that, you know, only Eric Voss will see? But how how can I make that feel (laughs) real? Yeah. Uh, but, but again, what I like about it is like when we shine a light there, mm-hmm. we see that there was a lot of like hard work that went into putting something there for us to find. I yeah. think that is the most rewarding part of my job is mm-hmm. like finding the rewarding parts of your job. You know? Yeah. Well, I say the smiley face that we were talking about on the robot. Uh, I know Andrew did 30, 40 faces and they all look completely different <laughs> and did everything. And then the one that we landed on is the one in the show. But Nobody sees the process of us doing a million versions and figuring it out and talking about it and getting to where we're at. It's really rewarding once you finally see it out there. Yeah, for sure. And it's also interesting to hear that Kate Heron requested the the grandfather paradox to put in, because I think even when you watch He Remains monologue at the end, it, it's so super interpretive and you don't really get a sense of like, it's, it's just hard to draw any firm conclusions about mm. what Marvel's bigger plan would be. But it is cool just to see like, you know, Kate wanted that to be a multiple choice option, you know, like sure. it's not saying this is a plan, it's multiple choice. So like, it's still just like, <laughs> hey, this is one way it could go Marvel. It's like, this is like a pitch to, to Feige, like, hey, A, B or C, which <laughs> one do you want? <laughs> like, I think that was the beauty of it is that it's not, it's not saying really anything. 
You know, it, right. like you don't know what it's saying. So. Yeah, if yeah. anything, the fact that it is a multiple choice question tells us something. Like it's like I compared it to like the Blade Runner Voight Kampf test. Like mm. this is like, are you playing ball with us by making this choice? Like what does this say about you? It's like a Rorschach. Sure. Like how do you see how, what we're doing test? Look, we're gonna get back to the video in one second, but I gotta tell you about Squarespace. Not only are they making it possible for me to make this video, they could also be making it possible for you to do honestly whatever you wanna do online. That's because Squarespace makes it easy to make an awesome website that lets you engage with your audience and sell anything you need, your, your products, the content you create, even your time. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. If you're into making videos, Squarespace can help you create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Video Studio app will help you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. And hey, maybe videos aren't your thing because you're more of a social media buff. Well, no problem. You can display posts from any profile you want on your website and automatically push website content to your favorite social media channels so your followers can share it too. No matter what you're doing, Squarespace's analytic tools will help you learn where your traffic and sales are coming from. And so you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on either your top keywords or your most popular products and content. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash new rockstars to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So the TVA in the in the Loki series, it's a fantastic fantastical setting it is based on the marvel comics but it's also just very different it's mm. its own thing um did and you mentioned calling that screen the chrono monitor like mm. did you have other in-house terminology for the places and the equipment that your team was creating you know i think from i mean at least from what i can remember we were given the names of the props and of uh, the tech we'd be doing pretty early on so i mean we call it the chrono monitor okay. and the tin pad or tv monitors or there's this term we have called GAC. Um, and GAC is just like anything that looks like it's doing something. So TVA GAC <laughs> was like the, all the background monitors and the background screens and uh, all the consoles that they're using up in the, the main control room. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we were using their terminology pretty early on. There was not really like any kind of uh, uh, internal conversation happening. I was not a part of this, but the sequence at the end uh, with He Who Remains and the the fluid morphing showing how... He kind of mm. like started doing his stuff. That was not me, but Andrew kind of oversaw that with some Houdini artists that Cantina brought on that were super talented. And I think for that mm. sequence, they kind of had like their own terminology for what was being said. Um, because I don't even know if we knew the name of that. I don't even know if there is yeah. a name for that tech. I think we just called it Fluid Morph or whatever, something. That, I mean, I have so many theories and ideas about what that stuff is, and I'm still endlessly fascinated by just the way it works and the fact that it has like the golden Kintsugi crack pattern mm. in there. Like it's cat, like it's just so interesting. Um, the I mean, the production design of Loki is just like endlessly fascinating to go back through it and find the the artistry that went into it. And I love this idea that you talked about the Chrono Monitor line as almost like a like a seismograph, mm. like the idea that like they look at it as like an earthquake line, like oh god something is rupturing yeah the faults are breaking apart like did you have any other conversations about the people who use this technology mm. in the world and how that would affect their functionality or the way it's designed like yeah. was character part of it yeah for sure i what was interesting is really the character that was a part of the design was not the people it was mainly just thinking that miss minutes was the os that was kind of running across the tva mm. it's not like she was a jarvis character but there was this, mm -hmm. there's playful moments where like the tin pads low on battery. I think it was in episode three mm -hmm. and she's kind of wagging her finger, you know, like little, little things <laughs> like that are just kind of funny. Um, I kind of thought of it, uh, 
or I think we kind of thought of it as like this DOS terminal system that everybody uses. However, there's just different logins that could open up different mm. restricted files. And so just like how everybody in a corporate setting would have Windows on their computer, the CEOs would definitely have an admin access to everything, but they wouldn't have a different OS. It'd be the same thing. Mm. So I think that's how we kind of thought about it, where maybe Mobius had you know his TimPad and Rinslayer's TimPad looked the exact same, but Rinslayer may have access to forbidden files that Mobius can't get to, right? Because she's a higher ranking yeah. officer. That's kind of how I thought about it logically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like you need to kind of know this, like to just to come up with the idea of the the finger wagging this <laughs> minutes. I think that's so interesting. Like, did you start to anthropomorph? I mean, Miss Minutes is already anthropomorphized. She is a, a cartoon clock mm. who can talk and right. seems to have thoughts and feelings. <laughs> did that like... Did you ever feel like you have a workplace relationship with a character like that as you're designing this stuff? Like, are you imagining what her inner thoughts are, what her inner world may be? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we don't really see a lot of Miss Minutes interacting with the tech. She's really displayed through that 3D character, uh-huh. uh, which was done by the people at Luma. They're awesome. They did a killer job on her. Mm. Um and so she's really expressed through that. But the few times we see her that I did, there was a login screen in episode one in the main circle room when Loki first gets brought in. And she's kind of wagging her finger and there's a login thing in the back. And then I think with the Tim pad as well. So those little pop-ups are, to me, uh, just a reminder that that there's like this, there's this interconnected network really of like information through the TVA. So everybody's mm-hmm. able to pull information and check on stuff. And uh, it made it, to me, at least, it made it feel more connected. It made it made it feel like everybody was kind of running off this interface that was receiving and sending out information. Yeah. Yeah. And what's cool about watching it is it feels like characters are both, they have access, like there's a whole lived-in world mm-hmm. of this uh, bureaucracy, but there's also red tape to it. Right. Like the fact that Renslayer in the finale is even like given the wrong information than what she requested. It's like, well, then... It's just kind of maddening. We can relate with that frustration of working somewhere. It's like, why don't I have access to what I need to do my job? This is so annoying. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, The I think what what was arrived at for the imagery of the the sacred timeline on the chronometer Mm. screen with like just the one line and then branches that snake off of it. I cannot I cannot credit uh, everyone who worked on the show more with just giving us like a kind of three D rendering or even a two D rendering of what the multiverse looks like yeah because that's something that we're always looking for like can you just give us a map of where everything is (laughs) and so like what are the conversations like when it comes to what color that line is what shape Mm. it is how thick it is how to animate the branches forming or getting pruned like how they rewind i'm just i want to be a fly on the wall for that conversation (laughs) i can give you a little insight so the so like i said when i came on andrew had a really strong language for what the stuff was going to look like in the beginning and the chrono monitor and the tin pad in the beginning looked a lot different than they look now. And we went through a million different uh-huh. versions and there's all kinds of ways that we went eventually landing where we landed. Um, but those conversations that you're talking about where what's the line thickness, what color is going on, those don't happen till later in the process after we kind of present versions, unless up front they know exactly what they want with that. Mm-hmm. But I believe for this show, it was very, we know it's going to be branches and there's a sacred timeline. We're trying to figure out a way to present it. And so then we kind of conceptualize what does that look like? And we'll give them a grounded version that's really close to their previs and what they're kind of thinking. But then we kind of go off the rails, do something crazy to see if we can get them in a different direction. And then they kind of give us feedback and we try to meet them in the middle and try to figure out something that's going to kind of 
number one, convey the story. I think that's something that Cantina does a really great job of is they really want to make sure the story is conveyed and that the director's vision mm-hmm. with what the graphic needs to do is clear. Otherwise, there's no point for it to be there if it's not doing anything, right? Like, it either needs to elevate the world or tell a story point, or it's just wasting wasting space. But then also, we want it to feel cool, you know? So there's a lot of times that we'll, we'll say, hey, like, we're choosing this direction because of this real-world real reference to DOS monitors mm-hmm. or seismographs, and that gets them really excited, you know? Because, I mean, who doesn't want that stuff to be grounded in real life? So we ended up getting to the place with the chronomonitor where it's at now, Uh because Marvel ended up just really wanting something simple to tell the story. And we were totally behind it. So we kind of condensed all the stuff that we were doing into one kind of tidied up package. And it ended up kind of where it's at now. And uh, everybody really liked it. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So there was this behind the scenes documentary, Marvel Assembled, Mm -hmm. that talked about how there was, uh, the production designers wanted a three-tiered hierarchy to the TVA. You have like security and orange at the bottom. You have management, which is like Mobius's level. And then you have legal, which is Renslayer's level. Was that structure something you ever kept in mind? Like, did you think about the, you mentioned having references to to DOSs, to to, uh, seismographs. Did you think about like inter-office communication systems or like company politics, company culture, that kind of stuff? (laughs) Uh, yes, I, I think for that, um, I I remember, so for example, the solitaire screen that we talked about earlier, I don't think I ever got into politics of, um, how would these characters interact with each other or have inner drama, I suppose, but what are these characters Uh doing and what would their lives be like? Because the TVA is kind of this drabby, gross place. Nobody really wants to be there. It's kind of gross to look Uh at through the corridors and hallways, but it works. And so I'm thinking that this guy who's stuck in this tiny office every day, where the same people come in and they're surprised that he knows everything they've ever said and they're signing these papers, what would he really like be doing on his computer? Because I know if I was there, I wouldn't be doing anything. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, when Andrew sure. put up solitaire, I was like, that's so perfect. Like, yeah, he's doing absolutely nothing. Like, he's just playing a game on his computer and he's like, here we go again, another guy, let's get him out the door. So I think we're trying to think about characters in that way. Uh, there was a scene, I couldn't tell you the episode, but... Loki goes to the library and he talks to his librarian mm. and uh, she's kind of typing on her computer. And it's very quick, but on that screen there's, she's inputting information to like an archive kind of thing, like a library. Mm-hmm. And uh, what would she be writing about? And it's just the most mundane stuff, you know, Sally trips on a rock and that caused a Nexus event. And she's like doing a whole catalog of stuff, just kind of hating her life, you know, cause I mean, she looks so annoyed when Loki shows up. And so playing into that kind of atmosphere is really what kind of, got us into these uh, fun situations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is, I I also like just to kind of, um, to veg out with my wife, we will watch office, the office, Hmm. uh, you know, and that's like, I just love seeing how Creed is in the background is playing solitaire in most of the shots. And when he's asked <laughs> what his job is, he's like, I'm a customer or something. Uh, duh, duh. Like just these old <laughs> people who have been at these desks forever and ever. Yeah. Like they, they're yeah. just collecting a paycheck at this exactly. point. They don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh so we've talked a lot about Marvel. You've worked on other titles too. Hmm. And I wanted to ask you about your experience working with Marvel and Disney and how that differs from how you've worked with other studios and other franchises. Yeah. I think specifically with Marvel that sets it apart from working with other studios is their care. I mean, everybody cares about their product. And so I've never really worked with anybody who doesn't care. Uh, But with Marvel and Disney, there's this chain of command where you're talking to the VFX supervisor. So I talk to Cantina. Cantina talks to the VFX supervisor. 
VFX supervisor talks to the director and all those people. And then above the director, Kevin Feige and Victoria Alonso have to sign off on everything. And so mm-hmm. my joke screen, for example, gets approved by not only Kate and the directors, but also by upper studio owners, right? Oh, Whereas wow. for other studios, the director has the final say because that's typically how the movie would be made. But Kevin uh-huh. and Victoria want a strong, cohesive story. And so because of that, they have just as much of a voice on even little screens like this, as well as big picture. And I think because of that, I really enjoy it because everything is so cohesive and creative and they love talking about it. And the simplest thing becomes the biggest conversation. And it's fun because you can tell they really care about what they want it to be. I I love that. I think it's so fun working with them. If there's one thing you wish more people knew about your job Mm -hmm. and your work, what do you think it would be? I think the joke screen is a good example that there are these big hero moments that everybody's really familiar with, like the chrono monitor and the tim pads. Uh, but there's these background screens that go through months of revisions and notes and changes and conversations just for people to overlook it because they just think it's a background screen. <laughs> and I mean, I guess that's really the point. It's just for people to really pause and it's, it's for the people who want to pause and really look into it. Um, but when you're watching a movie or a show and you see these screens or holograms or tech, Someone did that and it wasn't just thrown together. I mean, this was a whole process. And so really look at that stuff and check it out and be like, whoa, somebody actually took time to get this together and to make that. I think we're trying to build the world. So it will be rewarding if you do it because we put thought into it. The studio put thought into it and it's just going to elevate your experience if you check it out. So that's great. Yeah, I love that sentiment. I mean, that's that's everything that we try to do here. And it's it's just nice to hear that. that like our hunting and our searches and our investigations are worth it because there is like <laughs> valuable stuff to find. Uh, so I really appreciate all the work you do, Darby, oh, and, and uh, kudos to your entire team, everyone you've worked with, because obviously a lot, a lot of talent goes into these things. Yeah, well, I appreciate right, it. And lot. thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. I'm super pumped that we were able to come do this and hang out. That was awesome. Thank you again to Darby for talking with us today and a reminder to subscribe to our new channel, The Deep Dive. And you can support this growing network by grabbing something from nerdriot.shop. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at EA Voss, follow New Rockstars and subscribe to New Rockstars for more analysis of everything you love. Thanks for watching. Bye.